Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 85 with... Joseph Makos and... Joseph Bievenu. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. Alright, so you're back. You made it back to New Orleans. I'm back. I was, I I was questioning back. whether that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah I've been back I mean, for like a week. You like are just, just recently back. Just know that if I ever have to leave the country and I have to fill up a shipping container full of my stuff and I have to send it to a port from the port of New Orleans, that it is absolutely going to the port of Montevideo. <laughs> That's where I would like my shipping container worth of stuff to go. And then, you know, I could just live a happy life down there. It would be a pretty good place to be. You're I cool. Yeah, I do. I think it would be. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're back. And um, I'm inspired as hell, man, because, you know, where I kind of feel personally that maybe I get bogged down in a little bit of the scene, so to speak, or the, the keeping up with the Joneses of <laughs> poetry. Um, I guess if we keeping up with the Joneses, but I kind of want to say it's like maybe what's a poet keeping up with the with the um, keeping up with the who are we putting there? What name would we put? I don't in know. There? What would you say? Keeping up with the pounds. I don't keeping know. up with the pounds. Penny pinching. That seems weird. Penny though. pinching. Pound pinching. <laughs> I just feel alive again about poetry, and I just feel very inspired, and I feel very inspired with. Um, language, and I feel inspired with the people we met and the characters we met. Oh yeah, and uh, and the just the and the, we the, hope y'all enjoyed listening to the karaoke's. Yeah, it last was last week. It was uh, it was uh, it was fun. It was a fun <laughs> a episode. Karaoke's. Yeah, it was fun. I think I think you know it was uh, it was a very kind of like um, you know street level kind of episode, but uh, but they were great. They were great. Pedro, Pedro, and Amara. Yeah, they were wonderful. fantastic. I, I really, really have deep feelings about trying to get them up here for New Orleans. Yeah, I poetry. hope they're here for Poetry Fest. It'd be great. It just makes sense, you know? It just makes sense, and maybe even Martine will come up. Who knows? But it just it seems to make sense. But we went down there, man. We ventured, and I think I'm just going to quote you and and uh, on this um, beginning of this episode here and say, you know, you said, man... I think that this was the best thing that we've ever done with poetry. Well, I think it probably was. You might have been a little drunk when you said that, or maybe you weren't. But um, I don't think I, I was. In, I yeah, maybe you weren't. Yeah, maybe. But look, in, in retrospect, I agree. I think it was. I yeah. think it was. I think it was amazing. So, just so everyone doesn't know, let's tell everybody about sort of what we did. We we get on flight out of Miami, out of New Orleans, to Miami. <laughs> well, I don't know. We get on a flight, that part, but yeah. Down to, down to Montevideo, we get picked up at the airport, we get driving to town, and we we, we we stay at the poet's house, we stay at Martin's house. Oh yeah, house. we're staying at Martin, and Martin, like we said, is is the brainchild of this, he's the one who who put this together, Yeah, put the, this... The Mundial Portico, and like, if, okay, you have to understand this. If you're a, if you're if you're a football fan, soccer fan, American American <laughs> international football, football mundial <laughs> means world. It's World Cup. It's the mundial. It's 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 so so. There's a joke on it. It's the World Cup of poetry, 
and I have to say that I've been to many national conferences, the the the, the um, all the national conferences, and a bunch of small poetry conferences and the little festivals and book fairs and this and that other thing. The Mundial is like again to quote you, it's like poetry summer camp. Yeah, it really is. Okay. It's like, and why is it like poetry summer? Why is it like poetry summer camp? Because you know that feeling you get. At the end, when you're ha- when you're when when you when you leave summer camp and you're sad because you're not going to see your friends until next summer, you write them letters or something, and then you but you have this really intense feeling like you're leaving your family and you're leaving your good friends and you're. And but the like, experience is also intense. I think yes, even if you even for the Montevideo poets who are going to it, or the other South American poets, yeah, it's, it's, it's from just around an South intense America. experience. Because how many times? I think I read six times. I think I read more than six times. Maybe I, you did. I think I read, I read, five read times. ten times. I think I, I read. You read. I think I read ten times in that. <laughs> no, okay. because every day except for one. Okay, so let's explain something. I read. Yeah, let's explain yeah. something to people. So it's not like you show up at seven, you get a cocktail, and then you <laughs> hang out and listen to your pet friends read poetry for an hour and a half for their book release. Okay. What we're uh, 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 like, that's like, or, or you're going to a reading or something, there's open mic and blah, blah, blah. So here's the way that it works it is an intense thing, okay? And you go for five days, we we're there for seven days, but we, we go for five days, and there's a reading that happens earlier that starts around six. And then the six o'clock reading is like, go, oh, yeah, the program. Perfect. I'm, I'm looking at the program. I'm counting how many times I read while you're saying, while you're explaining yeah. this. <laughs> so you, so, okay, so then you, you go to a reading at like six and, and everybody's there and everyone's happy to see you. And it's in a different spot every day. The first day it was like, it's the first night it was like in a big theater. Okay. Salaverdi. And I know like one of you who is there is going to be listening to this and you're just going to make fun of how I'm pronouncing things. Fine. Okay. <laughs> Carl, Carolina or something. Whoever's going to laugh at my pronunciations. So we're at the, we're at the Salaverdi and then we're at, you know, which is like a beautiful theater. And then you go to that and then you do that until like 11 and then, Oh no, the night is not over. And then there's another reading that happens from like, midnight until three or two and then the midnight readings tend to be a little bit more although this year it was really multimedia there was the yeah, yeah. there were there were bands that were poet bands there were sound bands that did sound poetry there were visual poetry there was live visual things happening on the stage you know with uh with visual poetry and there were performative poets and there was music involved with poetry, and there was people who were just reading, and there were people reading in English, and there were people reading in Spanish, and there were people reading in Portuguese, and there were people reading in French, and there was it, and it, and it was like, and then there were people reading translations of poems, and then there were people. It was just so much stuff, okay, going on. So every day, basically, you have a reading from six till ten, six to eleven, and then we have another reading. That happened. It was usually like it was, no, I would say six till ten. Six and till then, ten, and then there was usually a break, and then a late night reading. And there'd be a late night reading that happens around midnight until. Whatever. Some days there weren't the late night readings, but most days there were. Right? Yeah. Okay, I way overestimate. It was only six times. That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> but that's basically what you do, and it's not just one day. It's not just two days. It's five days. And five you're day, yeah. 
And and you know you're you're going to be reading at, until two, and, and it's going and to we the showed TV. up a day early and had the nice asada with the poets who were there Beautiful ahead food. of time, which was also wonderful. It was fantastic. It was just so perfect. I mean, there's too much to talk about. I mean, it's so much to talk about. So I don't know. It's like and one then, of those things. And then it's we, like, and in addition to the readings, okay. we were running a workshop for three days. So they asked. They so you know we were we've been doing this visual poetry workshop thing. You know, it's sort of inspired by this you know visual poetry idea, this tangential thing that we feel is is cool happening, little thing with getting sort of merging artistic and design and things with poetry. And, you know, we were asked to put on this workshop. So we came down with some materials. We walked through some craft stores. Okay, and, and I got to say, I didn't have any idea what to expect. I didn't know what kind of space they were going to give us. Yeah, so we get... But we get Casa Mario, which is this beautiful, beautiful. art gallery. Like, yeah. an amazing space. Like, this wonderful, like, artsy part of Montevideo. White walls. Old, and this gorgeous old leather old building, factory, right? It old was an old leather, leather factory. factory. And, um... Yeah. But, the, but it beautifully turned it... Like, this wonderful old building beautifully turned into an art gallery. White walls, but not in the boring art gallery way. It has, like, the brick underneath and everything. And this wonderful side room with the with the skylight. With and, an eight... Yeah, yeah, skylight that goes up three stories... I mean, it was beautiful space. Wonderful. So we drop in, we drop all our materials. We get, we, we go in with Martina, we get a bunch of paper and we get a bunch of materials and, and, and pens and ink and this other thing. And then we had brought some rub off letter set letters and some stencils and some uh, felt letters and a couple, we, we show up with three typewriters and basically we give people an opportunity to go into this thing. And we have a workbook. Although the workbook didn't really drive the workshop this time. I think the workshop... Well, was I don't know if it ever does. I mean, the workbook's nice, but that's more like generating yeah. content and giving ideas, I think. Which is good. Okay, yeah. but I'm going to, like... So we had students, okay? So I didn't know what to expect. Okay, yeah. And we so didn't know who was going to come. Yeah. We didn't know who was going to show up. Yeah, we didn't know who was going to show up. And we didn't have a lot of people show up the first day. Although I think... But there was still work made. Two of the best participants showed up on yeah, the first day. Definitely. But um, I didn't know what to think, right? And, like, I don't think most of the people who came to the workshop had done visual poetry before. Definitely. I don't, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that it was, like, you know, uh, you know, we and we had a lot of really, t like, great, dialogue it was and it was it was like we put out the tables and we put out the materials and we sort of led by example and we started making things which i think is the way to do it like because you can talk about the stuff and i like the theory part and all that stuff but like that's not like you just gotta do it right yeah so like all right i'm gonna say before i even say this part yeah that i think vanya made some of the best stuff of the whole of the whole workshop. But the first, when she first came in, she was like, she came up to me and she was like, why is this not just visual art? Yeah, so she, she was questioning. She, she was very much like questioning the whole thing and she was like, how is this poetry? Like, why is this not just visual art? And I don't know, I don't actually, I can maybe like paraphrase what I said, but I don't think I actually had a very good answer, and I don't think my answer really had anything to do with it. But I think once she started 
doing it, she became a believer. That wasn't a that wasn't a question anymore. Right? Yeah, I think. I mean, the only way that well, there's lots of ways I could answer that question, but you know, there's there's no in there's 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 just for a writer in general or an artist. And I thought about this. It's not just for writers. A lot of people, a lot of people who are doing either literary, we'll say literary arts or visual arts, they really don't have a lot of, they, there's not a lot of embracing of the indeterminate. Okay, Cage talked about indeterminacy. Yeah. What I mean by that is something that is not a fixed thing. So is it visual art? Yes. Is it poetry? Yes. It's visual poetry? Yes. So Vispo, right? So what we have is we have, in my opinion, Vispo is the, is the is the middle space. It's a middle space that exists where both things can exist together at the same time. I get, yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with that, but I think I think that's what's cool about it is it is a middle space. But once you embrace that, you realize that all of it is really a middle space. That the genre classifications that we try to make if you really start looking at them, are pretty silly, right? Like, I don't know. What is the difference between visual art? I mean, sure, like, you could make some arbitrary distinction between those things, but then I could make an... What is painting compared to... When is it paint? You okay. know, like, when is... Pound talks, you know? about, <laughs> Pound talks about the primary pigment, and and I think, I, think, I think actually Olsen references, again, I think a bunch of people reference this idea... Of the primary pigment, and I think what happens with with when, when you consider your primary pigment is that, or like maybe people don't consider their primary pigment, but I think that when you look at the primary, if you look at it from the perspective of primary pigment, then you're just using words, or you yeah. or you're using a pen, or you're using paint, or you're using a typewriter, or you're using a computer, or you're using a mo- a, a mishmash of a bunch of different things, you know. And so I think, like, well, I mean, like, and for some people, some people, their primary pigment becomes social media, right? It becomes Instagram, or it becomes Facebook, or it becomes something where they're... But you're choosing that, right? Like, that's not necessarily a real thing, right? Like absolutely a choice. If you're you're picking, if you're an Instagram poet, that poetry could still exist outside of Instagram. Like, what does that mean, necessarily, as a genre? Or, like... Is it printing or painting if you take a stencil and print text onto a canvas? You know, like, that gets really complicated. Like, I don't know. It probably depends on a lot of things, and actually, does it even really fucking matter? Yeah. Like... (laughs) Mechanical means, right? Uh, you yeah, know, but, you know but, how like our friends yeah. on Jackson Square. There was always the debate about whether or not it was a, it was an original work. Yeah, which work was of, stupid. An know, original but, work which of is art. Stupid. You know? So it has to. If it's like if it, and the, remember the consensus was if it was you if it was if it was replicated using mechanical means. But that's dumb as hell. I'm gonna say right now. Yeah. That's dumb. What does that mean? Mechanic. What is mechanical means? First of all, a, a machine, a tool. Yeah, but but. Say say you're using a stencil, but you're doing it by hand. How is that different if you're using a stencil in the machine? Or like a woodblock press? The, yeah. That doesn't really make any fucking sense. Yeah. And, like, I think that's part of what I like about visual poetry is it does break down a lot of those genre things. And it's like, I don't know. Are you really sure you know what poetry is? Are you really sure you know what visual art is? 
are you really sure you know what printing is? Are you really sure you know what painting is? Because these are all just, in some ways it's about medium. And the problem is, like, poets especially, and I think art has already gone through this in a way that poets did not necessarily go through. Art already decided, oh shit, anything I can use as a medium is okay. Right? Visual art's already done that. And poetry is still... I mean, even though this has been going on for decades, most poets have not come to that realization yet that, yeah, there's a lot more mediums for you to use out there than what you're using, right? Like, there's tons of shit, and it's more fun if you open yourself up to this world of mediums you can use in poetry, right? Yeah, and I think in some ways there's... a. There, uh, there's a duality of it too, because in some ways it's, it's, it's more safe and in some ways it's less safe. And the, why is it more safe? Well, it's more safe because you're not having to tap into this sort of like, you know, like a faucet of your ego and where you have to like, you have to like, you know, present this thought that you have or like this idea that's basically developing in your, from the brain. It's like from this like thinking perspective, you can exist in that sort of more like um, uh, physical sense. You know, when you're using a pen and ink on the page and you're dropping... Yeah, because it's a different kind of performance, right? Like, it's... Like, normally with poetry, your only performance is if you're reading something, right? But you can perform in a way where you don't have to be there. Interesting, yeah. Right? You can, you can yeah. That's, that's, that's... So, okay, so... That does come through in plastic art. That does come through in art, right? It does come through in, in, in gallery art. It does come through like there's 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 a performance going on with even the hanging of the art. Yeah, you know, it, it, it one could argue it's all performance. You know, it is, but sense. like, but you don't necessarily like a poem on the page. Maybe there's some aspect of performance, but it's very small. But when you add a visual aspect to poetry, you can have an unpresent form of performance in a way that does not normally exist for, for poetry, right? Because you're, the, the choices you're making visually, the expressiveness comes through in how you're choosing to do those things visually, right? True. Which is not something you can, if you just have a printed poem on the page, you can't necessarily do that. Yeah, well, you, you know, know, I think, I think, I forget, Maybe it was like maybe it was like uh, Fernando. We were talking. I was talking with this with him about this Foglio, uh, the man who chromed a typewriter. Oh my god, that's like the best <laughs> that art piece is awesome. ever. I love that his chrome chrome plated typewriter, typewriter um, in the in the in the official permanent collection <laughs> of the Contemporary Art Center in Montevideo. Um, super freaking cool. Uh, you know, we were talking about this. Okay, so. If we start to really break things down in a little bit, I've always thought, I've always had this thought, right? I took this, um, do you remember Peggy Woods at UNO, or at UMass? She taught in the writing Peggy center? Wo yes. She always taught these, you know those yes, experimental, there's, there's, there's all these weird experimental classes? Really. Yeah, yeah, but I vaguely, she yeah. taught in the writing center, the yeah. reading, reading and writing center? Yeah. Like in Bartlett Hall, she was over there, you know? She taught these weird classes that were like these experimental classes. And I took this experimental class with her years ago. And we had a really, and we had these very particular assignments. And the assignments were, how do you write a short story that becomes a poem? And how do you write a poem that becomes a short story? So, and she, what she was trying to do is trying to have us hover in these middle spaces where yeah, it's like yeah. something becomes nondescript, where it's like, okay, 
Is it a poem? Is it a short story? Is it flash fiction? Is it is it a prose poem? Like like where's the where's the line to be drawn between a prose poem and flash fiction? You know, so I always think about this from the perspective of form. I'm a I guess I would consider when I look at this, it's for me, it's all about form. So you write a play; it's in a specific format. You write a TV show or or a, or, a, or a commercial. So think about this: a commercial is written, right? On the radio. A commercial yeah. on television, it's written, right? So you write a commercial, write a TV show, you write a stage play, you write a TV show, you write a movie. They're all in the same form. They are. They're all in the same form. They're all in a script, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. It, okay. I mean, there are things you can say are the same. There are things you can say are different. But, but I'm saying they're written yeah. in a script form. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, you have yeah, script yeah, writing, yeah. okay, you have, which is directional writing for these type of performances, things. But you can have poems that are scripts that are performance pieces. Sure, too. So, sure. So, poem. but then we have then we have we have prose, which is fiction or nonfiction. Which again, there's boundaries I guess, being blurred. Except you can have prose poems too. But you have prose poems too, so you, so you have poetry too. But then there's like this whole idea of like literary nonfiction, and then there's idea of nonfiction, and then there's journalism, and then there's but I, but writing. That's and kind of my point. Is journaling, like, and then yeah, there's other like forms. There, right? There's interesting things about those forms. And but the separations are artificial to some extent at the same time. This is what I was getting to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have poetry, and everything else is grouped into poetry. Well, like all these other forms. Yeah, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. saying forms. You yeah. know what I mean? And then within the forms of poetry, we have all these echelons, which actually kind of relate to high art and low art. So like we have these echelons where it's like. Oh, I wrote a double sestina. It's like new formalism, you know, or like yeah, I wrote yeah, a sonnet yeah. or whatever. But we talked about this in a previous episode where like there's like sonnets and then there's and then sonnets. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So there's like – so like, But, but that, I mean that's the thing. I mean maybe poetry allows some fluidity with those things. But then there's some places where it doesn't. I guess. Absolutely. Well, I'm gonna, I was thinking about this today. I don't think a single time at UMass – in my MFA program, did I ever hear someone mention visual poetry once? I wrote a I presented a visual style poem in my class with Ben Alsop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and people it, and it did not. Go no, no, no. With well. with 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 <laughs> James Hogue. He James Hogue. Well, that's the worst person to present that. He to. didn't know what to do with it. I'm sure he did he not. He thought it was a joke. He barely knew what to do with poetry, modern poetry at all. He thought it was a but, joke. He thought it was a joke, and I'm like, yeah. no, it's not a joke. I want a workshop. But I mean, but I'm saying like, and and and, and uh, this is not to be against. I mean, I'm sh- like, I know Peter Gizzy is aware of visual poetry. I know Dara Weir is aware of visual poetry, but. Not once in any class that I took with them was that mentioned. Ever. It never came up. Never. Well. And, like, I think even Kenneth Patchen came up, but they didn't ever talk about about the visual visual aspect of it. They only talked about his things that were not visual. Or, like, maybe, like, a Polonaire comes up, or, like, the Dadas come up, or the Surrealists come up. Because I think there's this weird thing where people, where poets... Feel like it's outside of their area of they're unqualified, yeah, of expertise or something, and they don't want to talk about it, or they don't, and maybe that's changing to some extent, but it's but it's not enough, at least not in the U.S., not enough 
And then, okay, so that, that's another thing that's interesting about Uruguay to me. As much as we had these people come into the workshop and most of them have never done visual poetry before, you go to these readings and there may not be static visual art, visual poetry going on, but there's all these elements of sound and video and projection okay. going on that is not something we have so much going on Not here, as much. You know? Yeah, not as much. So this was an opportunity, you know, with all these different venues that we were in, in, in um, the late night venues and the clubs or like in the nicer performance spaces. Most of it was in a theater-esque setting. So yeah. there was a lot yeah. of multimedia. Well, that also helped because yep. it was not such a thrown together setting these were like real theaters a lot yeah of the time, they were nice know? theaters so there was like there was like there was like songs that were being poems that were being sung and there were poems that were being performed and there were poems that were being read and there were poems that were being projected and projected and, off the phone walk, yeah. coming in and sound cues and oh all sorts of stuff so yeah that okay so let's talk about so we've got this idea, okay, where th this is what we experienced, and it seemed as though there was a little bit more of an embracing of a multimedia, multicultural, multimedia type of um, concept or idea or like yeah, it yeah. was accepted. It was more accepted and it was more not only accepted, but it was understood by the crowd, the audience, that this was not just going to be – it wasn't, people it wasn't scoffed at, right? It was like, it wasn't scoffed at. It was like, where I feel like when that does happen here, it often is scoffed at. Maybe not from the audience necessarily, but from the other poets, it often gets scoffed at. Like this thing, like... Well, why are they doing the shticky thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, I think that, like, this is the, this is the, this is, you know, this is one of the, um, the ideas, the concepts is that, you know, there's more to be done. And I think in that range, and you know what the problem is? I think part of the problem is, is the venues that are used, you know? And the, and the, and the lack of, and the expectation of there being a very particular type of introduction and then like people are people are looking for something particular there's yeah, usually a I mean, book release involved it, yeah. and there's usually a new book involved well, and, and that's then, always a thing and we're always talking about that and fighting against that but i also think there's like a historical thing going on that is weird like where is the place who's the mainstream poet in american culture who embraced visual poetry I can't think of one. I don't know who, like, like a mainstream biz biz po. There isn't really. I mean, I mean, the closest we can get are things that are fairly obscure. Yeah, the people who I know who are who are like, well, I mean, the, I mean, they're still obscure, but they're academics. We're, you know, we've got like we've got like Steve McCaffrey and you know, but he's yeah. but again, it's dated, you know, and John Bennett and, 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 oh, and Bob I mean, Drake yeah, and with, with that stuff, it, they did all that stuff. And I mean, I know you're burning press and, and Coach House and, and Cleveland people and DA Levy and, and like, and but but that's still BP like, Nickel in Canada. I mean, and, let's let's walk into let's walk into any MFA program in America and say DA Levy. How many people even know who that is? Yeah, and that's in an MFA program, and that's not like. A general public thing, but well, you but we all know that MFAs just eat 
they eat themselves. You know? I know, but, but what I'm saying is that, is, point, that right? part of my point is that didn't happen here. And I feel like in Latin America, maybe visual poetry got embraced a little more as part of the culture. Like, I'm going to think automatically, like, I do think if you talk about De Campos, you talk about Augusto De Campos, people in Latin America know who that is. So I don't know. There's mainstream mainstream visual poet. I don't know. I think there. I think that that whole that whole area of sort of like um, uh, human interaction or, or, or display of, of thought is or display of ideas and concepts is more in design. You know, it's more in different things. It's not. It has. It it, it it's not alive in the visible in the mind of the poet as much as it is in Canada or in. You know, or in um, or yeah in other places. The same thing with sound poetry. You know, I think like you were saying that it's true. If someone showed up a sound poem. If someone showed up at a regular reading and did sound <laughs> right. poetry, I mean, what if Louis Bravo showed up, not someone not knowing who he was, at an open mic in New Orleans, and was just like I'm started saying now. the alphabet. He could easily get away with it because his performance is so good. But most people would not get away with that shit, right? Probably not. And, uh... But... The thing about, you know, the thing about Luis is that he has, you know, an extensive practice. And he has a very calculated... Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to say one of the things that I was amazed to the point of not even understanding was when he did the thing with Orchestra de Poetas at the end. And I was like... What the fuck are they that doing? That seems like... No, it was awesome. I loved it. But I was like, that seems like something that would have taken a lot of practice to coordinate. Yeah. How the fuck did they do that so well? They had a little script, you know? I know they had a script, but still, like, some of that shit was, like, pretty precise timing you needed to have. Yeah, maybe they practiced. Maybe they practiced a few times before. Maybe they're all... You know, super. They seem they seem super practiced themselves. Like they, they are. I mean, they're obviously all amazing performers, and they're used to doing sound poetry. But I was still pretty amazed at how, like, okay, here's something that didn't seem super super scripted or super. I mean, yes. I mean, they had their like they knew what they were going to do, but it was like they they did a great job on that. They did. And then, you know, Christo had his visual things that he was doing, and that was cool as shit, because he was, like, using this, like, bizarre... I mean, folks, like, you've probably seen a lot of great, yeah, you know, visual cool. stuff before, but th- he was, like, doing overlaps of imagery, and then, like, he was using this, like, microscope piece that to he had live into a USB. Well, I mean, that was the cool part, was there was, like, live stuff live. overlaid on the... Yeah, live stuff. Yeah, yeah. He was painting, and then he was drawing, and he was writing, and then he was writing over the top of graphics that were layered. And it was really dynamic, you know? And, like, some of it was distracting, but some of it was also really perfect and worked so well with the work, you know? 
and you could kind of fade out in your mind and look at the work and fade out in the language and, and, and vice versa, you know? But, yeah, there was a general embracing of more multimedia work, more multimedia practice. Uh, and I think that that was, you know, encouraging. And it was really interesting. Okay, but you said you don't know what this episode's about. Did I say that? Yeah, you did. When? I don't know. Yeah, okay. It might not be. On, I don't know what this episode's tape. about, but it's about you know what this episode's our about. Trip, I guess. You know what this episode's about. It's Verbio Voco Visualidad. Oh, really? Is that a new thing? <laughs> no, it's not a new thing. But it's funny. Like we did this and had this experience, and we're noticing this about poetry there, and also doing our visual poetry workshop, and then right afterwards who I already knew was one of Louis Bravo's collaborators, Juan Juan Angel Italiano, posted this article about Uruguayan Vispo, which was awesome and also like related to some other things I found out while I was there. But then I was looking into his article and then I found this book he also published this um, anthology of Uruguayan visual poetry that you can get on, on Scribid. Really? And it's awesome. And I was looking into it, but it just sent me on this whole thing of thinking about these things. But part of his introduction talks about that, about how... Um, Which I like that term, right? Okay, what is it? It's the Spanish version of from... There's this moment in Finnegan's Wake in Book 2, Scene 3, Part 314. I don't know. I forget how Finnegan's Wake is set up. So I think that's how that works, right? Is that what that means? Book 2, Scene 3, Part 314 or something? Dream 314 or whatever the fuck, however it's set up, where he just in passing uses this word verbivoco visual. Verbivoco visual. Verbivoco visual, right? And that's what we're talking about. That's what this episode is. It's verbivoco visual. I mean, we're talking about. Are you making sure that you use that? Yeah, that'll be the title, right? Okay. I mean, we're talking about Uruguay, but, but like. That's what I think we try to do, and I think that's what we saw that was so cool that's going on there that does not go on enough here, is right, verb, vocal, visual. Yeah. Like, how do you combine these things? How do you mesh them together? How do, yeah, you know? multimedia is, is a one way, you know, that you can do that. Um, it's almost like... You know, like, people asked us, you know, look, we went down there, and I'm not fluent in Spanish, and Joseph isn't fluent in Spanish. And, you know, we got spoiled because everyone wanted to speak English, is really what happened, is the truth. They want to practice their English, yeah. But but then how many people came up to us and said, you know, you all are here, and you don't really understand most of the work. And again, like I said, I don't know, maybe 20% of it I get. But there is a way to understand or respect or admire or or tell if a if a if a delivery or a poem is good or not. No, I I think that's true and I think it's like 
You know, there's. I mean, I think, especially when you're dealing with poetry, but any art, meaning is at best if you're doing a good job, is like ten percent. Yeah, maybe it might be less than that. Right? What like, the poem actually means? Yeah. Who the? I don't give a fuck what the poem means. Right? Like I'm not. My favorite poems have nothing to do with what they're about. Right? And if your favorite poems are what they're about, you're doing something wrong. Right? Like, (laughs) even in your own language, right? Like, if that's what you're... I mean, that's not how you're picking what a good poem is. The other things are actually more important. Sound is more important. Rhythm's more important. Form's more important. Delivery. Delivery's more important. Performance is more important. All well, yeah, because I've, I've read work on the page that was great on the page because it's like I'm in like a little, uh, I'm up in this sort of like environment or I'm like in its own little world. And then like you go and you have like the, the poet will deliver the poem and then you're like, oh man, the poem, the, the poem, the poet really didn't lead up to my expectations of the poetry. And then sometimes you, you have a poet who is just like besides themselves and or like you're beside yourself yeah. because the poet's so good and their performance is so killer and then you like read the poem on the page and you're like mm. <laughs> but the best to both yeah but the best to both but i mean i think when you're listening to someone read it you can kind of tell and look there were people i could tell but i didn't understand everything but i was like i know i wouldn't like this right where it's like some of them were good performers, but it was like, I know if I understood this, I don't understand all of it. If I understood it fully, I wouldn't like this because I can tell what they're doing. I can tell that they're doing some silly things and I can understand it without understanding other words. Right. It's weird though, but you can do that, right? Like you can say, and then there's other people where you're like, well, this is just fucking amazing. And I don't, not necessarily understand. Uh, I, I uh, may, don't understand all of it. I only understand half of it, or whatever. And you're like, uh... and then, and, and I feel like the same thing. I feel like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I sometimes felt bad about reading in English, even though I'm sure more people understood English than we understood Spanish. But and, uh, definitely, I, I sometimes felt bad about it. But then I, you know, like people were. Receptive, very receptive. Very receptive, and especially, like, to performance, right? And, like, that's the thing. Like, that thing we did at the end, which was a total dumb last-minute fucking thing to some extent... Was a hit. Was a hit because of the performance aspect of it, right? Of, like, you did your samples of Louis Bravo yeah, and some other... No, you didn't have the Louis yet. It was other samples other from samples. earlier. Yeah. Behind and I'll you were like, what can you read over that? And I was like, well, I'll take one of the, I'll take one of the like neural network things. Although I fucked up, I didn't even tell you that. <laughs> I picked one that I thought I had edited. Oh, you didn't. Either. But I hadn't edited it, <laughs> so I started reading it and realized there were some things in there that just made no fucking sense. So I had to like jump over some stuff, things as I was reading it. Um. But I think that was, but it was still 
like because of the performance and because the language was still interesting and maybe because it was more random in some ways maybe that's part of what made it nice was because we escaped some of the things we normally would do right is is part of what made it nice we went into the indeterminate space yeah we went into a space where people could enjoy the sensory perception of the work and the performance yeah Yeah. and it wasn't and and that's where that piece bordered on a louis bravo yeah orchestra of poets type of work you know what i mean because it it gets into a middle space where there's emotions and there's feelings going on and there's there's no fixed you know but yeah, there was a, there was a uh, a really nice you know makeup of of, uh, of stuff down there, and it was really impressive to see the breadth of uh, different work, very straight ahead poetry, very performative work, visual work, sound work, cross cultural work, all sorts of shit. You know. All right, so of, we're gonna make this episode way too long. But well, that's we, all right. We don't have to, you know. I mean, but, but I want to talk to you a little bit. Because then I told you, like, I started looking into... So, that's the other thing that is, like, baffling but amazing to me is... Montevideo in particular and Uruguay in general is this amazing place, but it seems so separated from the world. And we don't get those things. And then we were doing this thing for visual poetry, and... One of the older poets, Geraldo something, I can't remember his name, told me, he was like, you know, we have this poet in from Montevideo who's an early visual poet. Yeah. And he gave me the name, and I was like, that's crazy. Way back, 17, born in the... 1800s. Born in the 18th, born in the... 1800s. 17th century. And I was like, well, that's crazy. I've never heard of this person. But then... Juan Angel Italiano has published several things about Uruguayan visual poetry. poetry, And I was looking into it, and and of course that person's the first. And I was just amazed that this exists and no one knows about it. So I just want to, so, and you don't know about all this. I'm just like, take us through a little journey of some of these people. It's not too long. But okay, so that guy we're talking about Oh, and now you're going to have to excuse my terrible Spanish pronunciation. That's fine. Huh. Not you. You don't fucking... You're worse than me. Yeah. I'm talking to our audience. Okay. <laughs> um, but the guy that I'm talking about, the first guy, Francisco Acuna de Figuera, born 1791, died 1862, right? Okay. First of all, I have a feeling like everywhere in Latin America, he must be a famous motherfucker because outside of him being a poet, he wrote the national anthem for Uruguay and for Paraguay. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so that doesn't seem like an obscure person, I don't think. No, they must know who this guy is. <laughs> yeah, so they know who this is. <laughs> But most of his poetry was, I think, more more standard poetry. He was like a neoclassical poet, you know. But he did about... There's some disagreement about how many calligrams he did. 
but um, 27 is the low end, and then like higher 30s is the high end. There's like some like so he didn't do a ton of ton of work. Didn't do a ton, but I mean I don't know. He did maybe somewhere between 30 and 40 kilograms, right? But he's doing this in the 1800s before Apollinaire. Yeah, way before. You know, not someone like we've ever heard of in the U.S., I don't think. I mean, yeah. Write us, please, if you've already heard of Acuna de Figuera. Because I sure hadn't. Never heard of him. You know? I don't know if it's in the poems for... We could check the poems for the Millennium, the, the Rothenberg and Joyce. Uh, I didn't see anything. In fact, it was very difficult volumes. to find any information in English about him at all. Huh. And most of it that was certainly did not talk about the visual poetry you aspect. Don't ha- you don't have those in here. You don't have those two volumes. I don't. I don't own them. I don't okay. own them. They might be. I, there might be something in there. there I'm going to check when I, I go home. I don't think so though, because I couldn't find in, much in English about him at all. But that that was one of those things that was amazing to me. Like when they were telling me that, because they knew we were doing the visual poetry thing. So I had a couple people tell me that, and I was like, "What? Like you have a vis- You had someone doing that in the 1800s? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I want to see some of that work. Check it it's out. very like. Typical calligram stuff. Like, one is, like, a cup. Okay. It's, like, a poem about drinking, and it's shaped in the shape of a cup. Or, like, it's not, like, avant-garde stuff, but for the 1800s... Yeah, it's pushing some things. And there's one that there's, like... Oh. It's something. Maybe that's a Portuguese one, or maybe that's a... Because some of them are in Portuguese, too. When there's like, there's some that are, yeah, there's like wordplay stuff going on with it and stuff too. Not super avant-garde, but still, even to be doing calligrams in the 1800s, I think is somewhat unusual. Well, and some of the stuff which I did not include in here, I think you would find interesting. There was also a lot of things just in the magazines and newspapers of the time that I don't think were necessarily intended to be poetry, but were doing a lot of visual... Sure, we've even found some of that stuff in the Nilla DNA archive. Yeah, and some of that was pretty cool, and he had some of that in there, and I was like, okay, I don't know, you know, it was like, this is maybe more meant to be a advertisement or, or a puzzle or something, sure. but they're, like, interesting. But, and there's some stuff yeah. going on with that in the Cubist Poets as well. They, they pick up on that. Remember, they do some poems that are supposed to look like advertisements, but they're poems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they do that. Okay, and I was going to skip over some people, but... Okay, but then we're getting a little further in time. Further in time. Joaquin Torres Garcia was more like a visual artist, but, like, there's a lot of this going on, too, of these, like, visual artists that are picking up on this kind of pictographic thing from the culture, but working that into their art. But his stuff, I've got to say, is really cool. Like, some of it is, like, more, like, pictographic letters that seem to be, like, more imitating indigenous things. Okay. But then later he gets to these things where he makes up an alphabet. Ooh, nice. And does text in this made-up alphabet. I mean, it, it's one of these things where it's like, I don't know, is this visual art or is this text? But I kind of like that stuff where it's like in this weird in-between space. 
Um, and he's a, he's about a century later, you know, but we're still like pretty early on in that stuff, and it's it's pretty interesting stuff. Okay, that's cool. Um, and then a little bit later, maybe like a decade later, I don't know anything about this guy, but I just included him anyway because he did something really cool that is like fucking shit no one did till the 60s had for sure he did a poem well i don't know if it was meant to be a poem or not all it is is punctuation yeah it's just like periods and question marks luis bueno cool that was cool that's cool all right but then we can start getting into all right and at, at a certain point i have not finished going through this whole collection this next one is my favorite my favorite one. And guess what? And I was like, oh, I want to I wanna read this, this person's work. But it doesn't exist in English. But you know what? Spring this year, Ugly Duckling is putting out a selected works of hers. Holy cow. Oh, it was funny. I was like, let's see. Is there anything in English? And Ugly Duckling's putting one in spring. Although I'm a little disappointed because it doesn't have the part that I'm really interested in. I'm going to totally mispronounce her name. I have no idea how to pronounce this name, honestly. Amanda Berenguer? I don't know. Um, but she was part of Generation of 45, which was this, like, Uruguayan literary movement, literary artistic movement. Okay. I don't Post, know. Post-World War II. Um, Is that what you mean, 1945? Is that the reference? Maybe it's reference to... I don't know what it's reference to, because it seemed like they're more in the 70s. Okay. So I don't know what the 45 is about. I don't know. Uh, seems like most of their stuff was, like, in the 70s. Okay. But, okay, she did a bunch of, like, poetry that's, like, mathematically composed poetry, which is cool. Okay. And then she did, uh, like, visual poetry, too. But the book that I think is the most interesting... Came out in 1976. It was called. Oh, I didn't write the Spanish. I wrote the English translation. Composition of Place, and it was a book that combined mathematical composed poetry, visual poetry, and poetry that are games that the reader had to like interact with the games of Whoa. the poetry. That's the one that I was like, man, I want to fucking read this book. That sounds you, like you can still get it or what. Oh, you can get it in Spanish, but I mean, I was like, I was like, oh man, I was like, I want to read this fucking thing. I was like, no, I want to write that book. I want to write a book that that's what it fucking is. Yeah. This is like, <laughs> that sounds awesome. And that's like right after the um, dictatorship takeover in Uruguay, right? So there's like a lot of like supposition that this is in a way like a, all right, like, here we are, we're in this terrible situation, like, let's create a new whole fucking world, right? Like, yeah, there's a lot of that. You know, the yeah, Dada's yeah, created out yeah. of the strife of World War One, and... I mean, I don't, I don't know, maybe that's silly to say that to some extent, but I don't know, I mean, but, but well, anyway, it sounds like an awesome book, and that's the book I want to read, really. So, I'm really excited, and she called her stuff kinetic poetry a lot of the time, which is kind of interesting, but... I think it's really cool that Ugly Duckling is putting out the selected, and I'm certainly going to buy it. Cool. And, I, and I found, like, 
one of the translators had a thing in Jacket Magazine uh, a little while back talking about some of her stuff from the 80s. Oh, that's funny. Like, So I guess I was reading with that. So she had this book from the 80s, and it was like some big poetry contest in Uruguay. And um, it was supposed to be anonymous, but in the first thing of her poem, she said something about Amanda from Montevideo, and it just immediately... Disqualified her? It didn't disqualify her. I think she ended up winning the winning the prize, but like everyone knew who it was because she was big enough to be like, "Oh, Amanda from Montevideo." Right? Like, okay, funny. like we know who it is. Okay, but next is the one that I think you're gonna like. Alkira Suscafo. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. So, she was born in Montevideo, but she moved to Mexico in her 40s, and she was part of the Inferialists. Nice. So, around the Roberto Bolaño. Yeah, in fact, in Savage Detectives, the character Auxilio Locator is based on her. Huh. Okay. But, um, she did a lot of visual graphic poetry... And in fact, while she was in Mexico, she was working at a university when the Mexican government took over because there was like protests going on. And she, at least according to, you know, legend or whatever, <laughs> she um, helped some of the students escape before the, before the Mexican government started like kicking the shit out of them. And then... She started playing, I forget which poets, this Mexican poet's recordings over the loudspeakers, over the whole university, and she locked herself inside of the Humanities Tower for 15 days until the occupation was over and had that shit playing the whole fucking time. Nice. That's awesome. (laughs) But the part that I thought you would like is... That was like what she was known for. Was she used mimeographs and she distributed her poetry in little mimeo pamphlets and she made mimeo posters of poetry. She did this while she was in Mexico? Or? In, Mexico in Mexico, yeah. And then she moved back to Uruguay in the 80s and then she died in the 90s. But oh, she like yeah. moved back. She moved back to Uruguay in the 80s. I wonder if any of that mimeograph work survives. I wonder, yeah. Intense. We could get. This is a good connection for uh, my buddy John in Berlin because he loves the connections between Limimio and 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 poetry and literature, specifically in Mexico. That'd be cool, right? So, yeah, yeah. An infrarealist yeah. from Uruguay. <laughs> like, who the fuck knew that existed? Yeah, how do you spell her name? Uh, Alkira, like A L C I R A. Okay. And then her last name is is really fucking weird. It seems like German and Italian combined. It's like a hyphenated name or something. Soust, S-O-U-S-T, and then Scafo, S-C-A-F-F-O. A Scafo thing seems Italian. The Soust part seems like Germanic or something, huh? Uh, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> but I think you might like her shit, man. And well, and some of it seems pretty cool, like the visual stuff that I saw. But I didn't. There were no. I don't know. I wonder if the Mimeo survives because all the visual pieces that they had, none of them were Mimeo. They were more like um, full color, 
they looked like they were maybe done in marker or, huh. you know, I don't know. So I wonder, maybe the Mimeo stuff didn't survive. All right, and then I'm not going to, I didn't get through all this, but Clemente Padin seems awesome. Who was born in Padin. <laughs> but he did a bunch of visual poetry stuff. He's later, later generation, born in 1939. Um, and he did a bunch of video stuff too, but... You know what? I never even noticed him on UbuWeb, but he's got a big presence on UbuWeb, and he's got tons of cool shit on there, including... Um, in the Vispo section? Or in yeah, the, in, yeah okay. in the Vispo section. But, you know, there's so much stuff on there, and, like, sometimes you don't... I've only really been through about half of it. I know. know it's like it's, Sometimes it's, like, hard to, like... But he's got some super cool... I mean, they, none of his video stuff's on there, but some super cool typographic visual poetry stuff, a lot of which is fairly stark, some of which are, like, real... I mean, most of it's in black and white, but some of it's, like, really cool. Like, one is, like, this... Like, those lowercase cool curly A's, but, like, the the middle part's all filled mm. in. There's, like, a ton of them falling in. Like, they're, like, falling into yeah, a container. That. It's really cool. Can you put that up on the notes? Yeah, I'll put that up on the notes. And um, but apparently his video work, but he also does on Ubu Web have a little manifesto thing that was pretty cool that someone translated into English, well, which is that. nice too. Um, I don't know, but yeah, you're saying like yes. I mean, our trip to Uruguay. Number one, it was like inspiring with the people we met, yeah, and, and, and the and, experience. But and, and but, thanks, and thanks to Vanya and Vlad and, and Carolina and yeah. Shishihu and uh, I think and, Paul Hoover. And for sure, we had Paul came to our workshop. Paul, Paul and uh, yeah, and, and Bill and, came to it for a hot minute, and uh, a handful of other folks were um, Terry. Terry was there. And uh, I don't know if there's anyone else in But all that stuff is awesome. Pedro even contributed. But it's so awesome. Like, what I'm saying is, in addition to, like, the people, which was super inspiring on its own. Yeah. There's all these things. Like, I just am, like, now, like, going in some whole new depth of exploring the history of visual poetry of things that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. From a whole new part of the world. From another part of the world, yeah, like that it's like... Another part of America. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> I don't know. It's wonderful. To, to, to find new old stuff. Yeah, That's the best new stuff. old stuff. But it's like wonderful new old stuff. And it's like, uh, yeah, but... But yeah, but the people too, and it's like, well, and, and that's part of it. And it's like, I, I feel like there were things like that too, like Vlad telling me stuff and being like, oh, do you know about this Brazilian poet that I don't know about? Or like our, or Pedro and Pedro and Amor doing that too and being like, yeah. And it's like, well, sometimes it's like, well, I've heard of that person, but no, I never checked that out. Or no, I never heard of that at all. And like all this stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, we're, <laughs> we're so rooted in, you know, how the fucked up canon of staid, boring poetry that comes through the MFA and, you know, this, this like, type of work. And I think, like, people forget that there's this whole wild sort of jungle of it still out there. And I think, you know, that there's still more stuff to be found. And I, I don't, I think that the, it... it you know, it might be. No, but it's not like it's not north. even like new stuff is the thing, right? It's like there is which I guess we already know, because even in America that happens, 
you hear about people, you're like, I never heard of this fucking person, and they're awesome. Yep, that happens all the time. But you've got that all over the world, right? Like, the amount of amazing well, you shit that's been written that we don't even fucking... Well, you stumbled on the, you know, and you stumbled on, like, the Italians, you know? Oh, yeah, well, and that's a whole thing I didn't even get into, and there's this whole connection between the Brazilian visual poets and the Italians that's just, that's fucking wonderful. Um, when, when I eventually compile my history of visual poetry, Brazil and Italy are the font of visual poetry in the world. Those are the two places, right? Um, that's it. Brazil and Italy. Man, that stuff is like... That's everything. That's like where visual poetry was born when it really comes down to it. All right, France will give you a a footnote. I'm you just like, just for the hell of it, I'm yeah. just like, you know, like looking like... I what, what ha- You know, what happens when you... When you just type, you know, hashtag Vispo into Instagram and what comes back. Although I'm going to say some of the stuff about Italy that I found is, is I think, slightly inaccurate. Even some of the things from our Uruguayan compatriots who did a good job doing research. Because they're trying to say the Italian stuff started in the 70s. But I have some visual poetry from Italy from the 60s before where most of the history begins for Italian visual poetry. So a little bit, a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, and some, I think I have that might even go back to the forties, but, but that's obscure stuff. And that's the weird thing is like, well, and that's, that's the other thing with visual poetry is even in a place that, you know, a lot of it was published in smaller ways and finding examples of it are not always easy, you know? Some of it is was was were published in a very small run, right? Like you're not like <laughs> this is not something people, especially early on, people are not like buying tons of copies of magazines with visual poetry in them, right? Oh, I don't think so. You know, you've got to like that. You're kind of digging into some. Although I would make the debate that if you pull up any glossy 100-page fashion magazine, well, not any, but any many color glossy magazines, and you 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 flip through five of them, you're going to find something that maybe teeters on visual. Well, yeah, that teeters on it, and that's the but that but then that's getting into the like graphic playing with genre thing we're talking about, which is interesting, right? But um, all right, we covered a ton of stuff. I know, I'm just going to package in. But I think, there, but I think, look. What do you want to come to at the end? Here? I don't know. I mean, what do I want to come to? Look, we had a great time. I don't know. That, like, like we said in the beginning, that is probably one of the most amazing, probably the most amazing poetry experience I've ever had in my life. Yeah, the Mundial. And, um, you know, if you don't go to the Mundial and the World Cup of Poetry in South America, then, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Look yourself in the eye every morning and ask yourself why you're not going to go next year. <laughs> but, but also, like, I it's think... It's not for everybody. But the thing it's that... Not. The it's thing, not. The thing that I think Honestly. we really, we really come away from it is this idea of this combination of visual sound, poetry, mixing those genres together. And that's what I really was cool. Like, I mean, we already are interested in that, but it was cool that in Uruguay and apparently Brazil and Argentina, 
that already happens a lot more than it does here. And man, why aren't we doing that here? You know what? If you're a poet and you're like, eh, I'm a poet, I like being a poet, but no one listens to my work. You know how you get people to listen to your work or read your work? <laughs> Do something fucking interesting for a second. Like, come up with a cool show. And that's not sacrificing your art. And that's bullshit if anyone tells you that. Don't listen to them. That's taking your art and packaging it in a different way. Or hopefully you're not just packaging it. Hopefully it's opening it up to a whole new experience and... And it's going to change it when you do that, and it's going to make it into something interesting. Or yeah. maybe you just fucking begin with that idea that you want to create something that's visual or create something. Okay, that's now that's the beard talking there, but that's the <laughs> what? Yeah. no. It's a it's 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 a self a change of your self perception of the value of your work. Yeah, to put it into a new place, to present it in a new way, to trip it up, switch it up, change it up. Yeah, and do something different. To, you know, you know, it's like perceived value. You know, we could, you know, uh, talk about all sorts of concepts and ideas of, you know, uh, work. And you put it in a journal or you put it in a gallery or Fuck you show journals, it. man. No, that's like, what I'm saying, though. I'm saying yeah. It's the perceived value. It's like you put it in a journal, you put it in a gallery. Like the crowning achievement for some poets is like, oh, I want to be in this magazine or that magazine or this magazine. But... You know, it's like, it only goes so far. I mean, not fuck journals. Journals are fine if they're good journals. But, I mean, to some extent, I say fuck journals. Look, I've I've been saying this now. I'm like, I'm never publishing a full-length poetry book again. I don't think I am. <laughs> because, you know what? Doing that book with Nate, to me, that's a better book. It's fun. It's fun and it's interesting. And it doesn't have to be this restricted by the page count and what you can do in a book and oh I can't make interesting visual things happen right where that's, that's all that's all you know that's all a racket anyway because it's all like create space and Amazon and it's the sort of corporate capitalist yeah but if you submit to a if you submit stranglehold if you submit publishing. to if you submit to a journal look if I submitted one of those poems to a journal even if they liked it they'd say I can't publish this Pretty much. Yeah. Well, I mean... Because they'd be like, what? Like, how do I publish this? They do not do it. Well, I can tell you without naming any names that I submitted three visual poems to <laughs> a local college anthology of graduates literature that I happen to go to. <laughs> and the editor of the anthology messaged me saying that they did not know how to publish my work in the anthology yeah. because it was a JPEG. Yeah, but, they, but what? But that's what I'm saying. So it's like what? Look, you know, and it's like when it really comes down to it, you're a poet. You know, your market, if you're just trying to print things and be in the academic world, is probably pretty limited. <laughs> but you know what? We're not famous poets. We just. Sold a bunch of books and read a bunch of poems to people all across. Yeah, people from all across South America. South America. Who, now our poems are out there. You know, and that's probably, 
more than well-selling poets in America. Maybe Vlad staying up at night trying to translate some of your shit into Portuguese. (laughs) But, you know, and whatever. (laughs) Not that that's the point, but, I mean, even if your point is you're trying to get your stuff out there, there's better ways to get your stuff out there than just publish a boring book, right? Like, think about, yeah, how can I incorporate sound? How can I incorporate visuals? How can I do these things? How can I publish in ways that aren't the boring ways of publishing that are making interesting visual things in the world. Like that's much more exciting. I think maybe I think that's the point of this episode. Like (laughs) make your poetry exciting again. And like, don't get worried about genre and don't worry about that shit. It doesn't matter. Not really. Make some exciting stuff. Yeah. Exist in middle space. Use different materials, use different tools. Think out of the box, go to a craft store, use letters, Cut up letters, make different things, glue things together, use cut ups, use collages, use typewriters, use printing processes, use printing type, take photographs of things. You know, there's so many different I was okay possibilities. I wasn't even gonna say this, but you know, I hadn't seen those things. I maybe I did, but I didn't know. So we stayed with Martine. What did Martine have? I loved what Martine did with those. So Martine has these visual poetries he's done with. He bought, which is a funny thing. Remember Benetton? Oh, that's right. He bought, Benetton had this short-lived magazine in the 80s and 90s. Colors. Kind of a cool magazine. But Martine took this magazine and just spray painted and used he used rub off transfers on parts of it he just wrote on top of parts of it and honestly you would take this magazine you would pick this magazine up it's a fucking piece of art it's beautiful but it's also poetry because there's text involved in all of it it's wonderful and that's kind of a weird, simple thing, right? I think he probably found this in one of the used stores around town. I was like, this would be cool to make poetry out of. I think it's great. And he did, and it's awesome. Like, you don't need... I mean, we can talk about all the, like, processes people have used in the past, but you don't even need that. You can just find something like that and use that. Yeah. Use what's around you, right? Like, that's really the thing. I mean, you can just really dig deep, and it's it's like uh, jackhammering. You know, you're jackhammering and drilling and sawing and cutting. and It's a real, you know, it's a real interesting craft to start to play with language and to start to play with what can be considered poetry. And if you look at it from the poetic mind, what you can open up. And I, I had a really awesome conversation with Vanya about this. And about how uh, some of the work that you can do in the visual poetry workshop really brings out and informs some of the work that you do in your other poetry. And how, like, the poetry, how it's like a middle space where the ideas come from. It's like the space where ideas come from. And maybe the visual poetry can be like something where you you rest, you take a rest from your other work. And then when you need a rest from the visual poetry, you can get back into your writing, you know, your, your other poetry writing. No, that's important. Yeah, no, I talked to her about that too, and that's great, and that's true. And, like, look, 
I've done that for a long time. I've always liked visual art and I like doing design too. And I've always felt like that, but it's kind of cool to me that visual poetry kind of does that while you're still kind of staying in that textual stance at the same time, you know, which is cool, which is nice. All right. I mean, I don't know. We've maybe, I think we've said some good things, but we've belabored it maybe a little. It's maybe time to end this episode. That's fine. You can cut it up anyway. We'll be good. <laughs> um, do we have anything we need to plug? I don't think so, necessarily. No, we're going to be, we're going to do some stuff. We're going to teach another poetry workshop coming up at NOCA. It's going to be fun. We're going to go do that. And um, I don't think we got anything coming up. I don't know. This one's coming out on the first, but look. Well, we poetry, do have poetry. Poetry fest proposals are due on the first, so I think this oh, episode will come out yeah. on the first. But I think if you might be able to read this, listen to this episode, and you really want to get a poetry proposal in, I think send it in. So that's all we got. And know. I guess the other thing what I should got? say is Lucky Bean poetry reading. Um, we're about to have our second reading with a former guest. With former guest Bernard Pierce is going to be our our, our second feature. Um, I'm I'm trying to look so I don't say the wrong date because I sadly do not remember the date. On December 10th, Bernard Pierce is going to be reading a Lucky Bean poetry reading at NOCA. Monday? Yeah, it's Monday. This is a Monday reading. And we're, we're still doing this every month, but this is our second one. Bernard's going to be the feature, which is going to be cool. But come out, it's, uh, I mean, the features are short. That's kind of how, by design, like 15, 20 minutes max. And then it's open mic after that, so you can bring anything you want to read. Paul Ben came and read some Bigfoot poems, my favorite of his. Uh, so come out and read. Laura came and read, too. You know, it's nice. good. You know? I'm going to put it on my calendar right now. Lucky Bean Poetry. All right, y'all. December 10th. But that's good, man. I, you know, explore some stuff with your forms. And, you know, I hope you enjoyed this this week. And we will be good with y'all again next week. Have a good poetry-filled week. Day. Mm-hmm.